2: I'm idle
0: and I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title but I Welcome
1: back, prom party. Hi there. I'm melting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you at least have a little bit more of the ASC like remnants in the room you're in than what I do.
1: Oh, this is the the longer this podcast go, the more it'll favor you because I'm in a smaller room and I run hot. (laughs)
0: That's very, very true. Um, I just get to smell the beautiful scent of Raid because we had to kill some ants this morning. So if I end up becoming an ant mutated ant person by the
1: end of this, uh, that's why. Well, it's a good thing we have Raid then to kill you. <laughs> that's very, very true.
0: Friends, we have yet another anniversary movie this month because that's just what is happening this year. We got a lot of anniversaries and a lot of just... Absolute bangers of movies. Yeah,
1: so they, they all just lined up, and uh, we were also kind of didn't realize how many advan- anniversaries there were until the second half of the year. So. Yep,
0: our bad. <laughs> this probably should have been done in April, but you know what? Better late than never. Mm-hmm. So, friends, in honor of the 25th anniversary of Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, we are not alone today. We are joined by writer podcaster producer and our very first returning guest on the show Brennan Klein is here hi Brennan
3: hello 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 I am honored to be your first returning guest thank you to the kiss of the ant woman and the incredible melting woman (laughs) for having me on
1: thank you (laughs) the secret third member of the this ends at prom team
3: yeah, I, I I babble a little bit at the I believe at the end of your podcast, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you if you commit to the credits, you'll you'll have heard me before.
0: Well, we try to incentivize people, and by we, I mean Harmony does. She puts a little zinger at the end of every episode as a little treat for whoever listened all the way to the end.
1: Yeah, I don't know if people um know what that's inspired by, but it's inspired by King of the Hill and how at the end of the credits they would just share a random quote that's funny from the show. So I went, you know what? I'm just gonna do that because I like it, or it'll be some version of like the end bumper that's like absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Brennan, I know you quite well. Our listeners who may not have heard you on our Easy A episode, spoiler alert, go back and listen to that episode. Why Romey and Michelle for your returning movie?
3: Well, I mean the really the, the short answer is that it's one of my favorite movies of all time and I saw you were doing it and I was more... I just kind of, you know, I, I slipped a 20 under your door and I was like, hey, just <laughs> let, let me let me be on this episode. Um, but also, I mean, well, the the reason I came to Romy and Michelle, it's, I mean, it's because of Friends and we don't need to talk about the incredible problematic history that is Friends, but I was very into it in junior high and high school. It is a part of my pop culture fabric and... To steal the uh, parlance of the K-pop fan community, Lisa Kudrow is my ultimate bias. So in college, <laughs> in college, I had an intense Lisa Kudrow period, and that's when I first watched *Romeo and Michelle*. And I think, while it is, you know, a very good teen girl movie, it's maybe even better to come at it when you're separated from high school by a bit, just like the characters are.
0: Oh, absolutely. I- I agree with you completely on that.
1: Harmony, what was your introduction to Romeo and Michelle? Um, Well, before I get into that, I just think it's a funny trend that Brennan gets to come back whenever there is a film set in Southern California and Lisa Kudrow's there.
0: And also there's a fake sex scene in there. Yes. (laughs) Oh,
1: I didn't even think about that. You're geniuses. (laughs) Thank you. Um, My introduction to Romeo and Michelle is that it would just air on TV periodically and I would just catch bits and pieces of it. Um, cause like we'll get into the context of its actual release a little bit later, but like the fabric of my cinema experience is so much tied to, is tied to films that sort of didn't do very well and then found new life in like syndication and VHS rentals because they were affordable. So I caught a lot of Romeo and Michelle, though I've probably only watched it all the way through in one sitting, like twice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mine was Spice World. Um, I, that should come as a surprise to absolutely nobody, but that was my introduction to Ellen Cumming. Therefore, I then started seeking out other stuff that he was in and my aunt, like she's having a great last couple of months on the show. I've name checked my aunt like six times, (laughs) but she was one that was like, oh, you like this actor? Check out this movie that just came out. And I was like, okay. And absolutely loved it and gained a greater appreciation for it as I got older And obviously, Josie and the Pussycats happened. There is an in-joke in Josie and the Pussycats to this movie that that was one of the first times that I was like, wait, meta-commentary is a thing? I'm 11, this is great. Um, (laughs) So that was a big part of it. But all throughout high school, this was one that my best friend and I quoted constantly because it's fun. Um, And then I agree with you, Brennan, as an adult revisiting it, I think my appreciation for it has only grown. For, for the
3: listeners at home, and, and not me whatsoever, remind me of the Roman and Michelle joke in Josie and the Pussycats.
0: Um, (laughs) so in Josie and the Pussycats, uh, Josie gets ambushed at like the fancy Revlon hotel by Mm -hmm. Catherine Isabel, which is always interesting. And then a bunch of, a group of girls that were super mean to her early in the movie and they're screaming and they're all Josied out and they're like, we're your best, biggest fans ever. Oh my God. And you know, she slams the door and she's talking to Alan Cumming, who is Wyatt in this movie. And she's like... What is that about? Like they hate us and he's like, "Well, what's the point of becoming famous if you can't rub it in the faces of people who were mean to you in high school?" Like it's something like that and then he goes, "Most people have to wait until their 10-year reunion to do that." And then he looks off oh, to the side and oh it is gold. <laughs> I've watched
3: both Josie and Roman Michelle this year and I maybe I noticed it in the moment but it didn't stick with me, so thank you. Mm-hmm. I Thank you to Alan Cummings, thank you to BJ. I totally missed it.
0: You're very welcome. It is one of my favorite stupid like in-jokes of any movie because it, Alan Cummings is so funny and he commits so hard to it and you can kind of see like the Sandy Frank wash over his face when he makes the makes the look to the side. It's fantastic. Um, so, Brennan, if you had to explain to somebody who has never seen Romy and Michelle before, what is Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion about?
3: Oh, my God. I mean, okay, you're doing this to me. Thank you. Um, Well, I mean, really, if you want to give the log line, it's really easy, which is that um, two 20-something women are uh, attending their high school reunion. They think that their lives are maybe not as impressive on paper as they want them to be. or Well, kind of Romy pushes Michelle into feeling this way, as we will learn. Um, But they kind of invent this story that they are the inventors of post-it notes and they're going to, you know, show up and be fabulous businesswomen and be super impressive at their high school reunion is their plan. But it's really much more of a kind of shaggy, loose hangout movie where you just live in their friendship and watch it evolve.
0: I agree completely. I I love this movie so much and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, so Harmony, let's talk about this release that you had mentioned earlier what the fuck happened
1: that is a great question um kind of looking at the tapestry of what teen releases looked like in films this year is um messy i guess uh it's sparse uh scream had came out the previous year and scream 2 comes out this year as well as another kevin williamson joint which is i know what you did last summer so you have a lot of teen horror films with substantially worse quality than the Scream movies popping up and I have never seen any of them but outside of that you're kind of limited to Spice World, Romeo and Michelle and Lolita. Oh so... oh oh oh, oh. Um, also Cinderella, if you want to get to like made for TV stuff or Good Burger, if you want like a TV movie that somehow made it to theaters, um, it's, it's not a lot going on in the teen sphere. So BJ and I sat down for probably like 45 minutes last night trying to unravel the mystery of why a movie starring a friend in like the biggest show on the planet outside of Seinfeld, her movie bombed. Um, I guess, I guess I shouldn't say it bombed. It made its budget back. Um. So, uh, first of all, we watched the trailer. Trailer trailer's really bad. <laughs> Brendan, have you ever seen the trailer for this movie? No, I can't say that I have. It makes them seem extremely unlikable, and I can't figure out exactly why. I'm, I'm assuming some ex- execs or some marketing department didn't really know what to do with this movie. So, they kind of project it as, like, what if Dumb and Dumber, but with women... Mm. Yeah,
0: it's it doesn't work very well, and I will occasionally cite an article that came out earlier this year from today uh, called The Cast and Creator of Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion Are Ready to Reunite, and they just talk about like the, the legacy of the movie, and the screenwriter, Robin Schiff, talks about how they wanted Romy and Michelle to be like female Wayne and Garth, And in the original review of the film from the New York Times, they referred to this movie as Bimbo Bill and Ted, which if they were speaking about bimbo in kind of like the hell yeah bimbofication way that we talk about now, that reads like a very lovely compliment, but it was 1997 and we were not using the word bimbo in, in favorable company at that point.
1: No. And I mean, even the poster and I assume the DVD release of this bills this as the blonde leading the blonde as in you know a play on the blind leading the blind so it's like oh yeah dumb blonde jokes is kind of how they're presenting this but they're not dumb they're just kind of like really skilled in unique categories and just are like drifting through life having a great time it's very venice beach which makes sense but uh something else that we were trying to unpack is like well what else came out this year Uh, the biggest movie of the month that *Romeo and Michelle came out and would still be trouncing it the following month was Liar Liar. So Jim Carrey comparisons also just, it's, it's really just doubling down on that. And I had to ask BJ if she has any like good knowledge of whether or not like a big television star can translate to a screen role that will succeed. Because by like 99, the Friends start to be in successful films. But by this point, None of them – they're they are all doing movies, and none of them are, like, big deals.
3: Yeah, that's a great point. Like, I, I don't feel like people were packing the theaters for Fool's Rush in with Matthew Perry either. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. And I think that that is such a, an interesting concept. Like, we talk – occasionally we talked a lot about it on, like, the He's All That episode, where executives don't seem to understand that audiences are not always the same. Like, The Big Bang Theory is one of the biggest shows in the entire world – but I highly doubt like a bunch of middle American people are like, oh, Jim Parsons is doing this very gay movie. I'm going to go check it out because he's the guy from Big Bang Theory. It's like there's not crossover there. I don't understand what you're doing here. Um, and that's why it's always weird. And they're like, well, this TikTok star has 12 million followers. And it's like most of them are actually 12. They can't give you a ticket price. But whatever. Like, much why less, am I-
1: <laughs> Yeah, Much less going to an R-rated movie.
0: Right, right, right. And I think that's a big thing that happened with *Romeo and Michelle is Romy and Michelle is a rated R women-led comedy. And what's fascinating, as I learned from this Today article, is a major reason why this movie got greenlit in the first place is, A, Lisa Kudrow, because, of course, Mm -hmm. she was, you know, on the biggest sitcom in in history as we would learn and it was doing massive numbers uh Savino's uh reps told her not to do the movie because she had just won an oscar for a Woody Allen movie and they were like don't do this this is lowbrow you just won a fucking Oscar and she's like nah I'm gonna do it because it's really funny um, and then teen girls were finally being seen as a viable demographic because of things like Clueless uh, because of things like we would see later in the year with Titanic um, and that's why they were able to get the movie made because they were like look there's a market here and this caters to it unfortunately it's still rated R uh, so a lot of that teen girl market that they were counting on is isn't old enough to go to the theaters, which is why it did so well in rentals.
3: Yeah, and, and I, I think, uh, sorry, I, I wish I could remember more of this article that I read, but there's a really good oral history of Roman Michelle that also came out this year on Vogue that uh, you could check out. Um, and I think it does kind of dive into that theatrical release. But if I remember correctly, it's just this movie is so fucking weird
1: that yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: they just, the producers lacked confidence in it, and also obviously didn't know how to sell it. Um, that's, that's apparent just from looking at both of those things that you cited, the trailer and the poster. They have no idea what they have.
0: Absolutely not. And before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to The Morning Announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom over at our patreon we offer things like our schedule ahead of time wonderful playlists curated by harmony our sadie hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies and we are currently going through our tv homecoming series through pen 15 we offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only one dollar if now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag Prom or at Prom. Alrighty, so Brennan, let's talk about our main two characters. It feels impossible to discuss one without the other. They do share a yearbook picture after all. (laughs) So (laughs) how do you feel about the characters of Romy and Michelle?
3: I love Romy and Michelle so much. Um, First of all, because just the idea of centering a film around a female friendship is still so unusually rare um Mm -hmm. in in this kind of like bigger mainstream project as as much as you can call rome and michelle mainstream these days it was trying to be mainstream Mm -hmm. um but yeah so rome and michelle i think it's i think uh the the relationship to like blonde jokes or bimbo jokes or whatever is a little more complicated well it's a lot more complicated than anybody at the time would have wanted to uh suggest because i would say that like like you said, these characters are very skilled in certain areas, especially um, Romy is very diabolical. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and Michelle has an excellent eye for design, um, but they're just both, their priorities are different and their minds are different than everyone around them, which doesn't make them bimbos. Although mm. a lot of the things that they care about in the kind of like mainstream culture are things that would have been joked about. um, Where it's like, Oh, you love watching pretty woman and you love these kind of like superficial fashion things. Like they, they do engage with a lot of the things that are, Oh, you know what? just, as I've been babbling, I think I I hooked onto it. It's they like things that are very femme and Mm -hmm, those things are viewed as bad and, and stupid. And that's where that's coming from.
1: Yeah, you should be a career woman, or you should be looking to get married and get pregnant. Those are the aspirations that all of their classmates had. Yeah,
3: and they're doing neither of those things. They're doing their own thing.
0: Absolutely. I think that there is something so fascinating about that like this entire movie is sort of about what does it mean to be successful? Like what are the milestones you should reach? And I think that Romeo Michelle exists in a very interesting time period because while i am not gen x gen x is kind of the first generation of people where it wasn't expected that you were going to marry your high school sweetheart live in your hometown have a bunch of kids and like that is just your life like that wasn't really a thing we had a a big generation of people going to college, uh, moving away from home, picking up careers, trying to figure themselves out, or honestly, like, kind of just vibing. Like, this was a time period where people like Romy and Michelle were starting to not be the outliers. Like, they said, fuck Tucson, we're moving to Los Angeles, and we're going to live these fabulous lives, and we're going to do it together because we're best friends and we love each other, and above all else, like, that is our priority. Our priority is ourselves and our happiness, And when you see that compared to like the people they went to high school with who did the quote unquote expected thing, it's like, yeah, on paper, it looks like they've done a lot more. But did they? Because they're still in their hometowns working for their dad's businesses.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think that actually looking at Romeo and Michelle together is it's necessary because they're two sides of the same coin. But I think where they differ the most is that Romeo is significantly more insecure about having not achieved things than Michelle, but only once it's actually... Presented to her, because like that's how this movie works. Where they're just enjoying their lives and they're watching Pretty Woman and going shopping and having a lovely time, and then oh hey, we realize that we don't do the stuff that people expected us to. And Michelle doesn't seem to care. She she didn't realize they weren't cool or having a good time in high school. But Romy's very aware of it, and that kind of like is the entire. That's where all of the conflict comes. Is like Romy's insecurity to seem better for this reunion. Yeah, and and
3: that's really interesting because that's, first of all, so relatable, but also this is a world before Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, before you know exactly what everybody else is doing and having them present their best life to you at all times. Um, So it's basically like Romy is someone who's living her life, but then downloaded Instagram and saw what everyone was presenting to the world and saying, wait, why don't I have that? Why am I not doing that? What's wrong with me?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I have a theory on this, too. Uh, So we do see throughout their flashbacks as they're going through their yearbook what high school was really like for them. And they say, you know, we weren't really part of the A group or the B group, but we weren't really part of the C group either. We just sort of existed in our own little world. And the way that two of them existed in the world are very different. So Lisa Kudrow had, uh, I think, scoliosis is what they said. So she wears, mm-hmm. like, a metal back brace. And people are, like, horrible to her. Christy Masterson puts magnets on her back. It is, like, f- way more traumatic to watch in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, but Romy is the chubby girl. And they tell her constantly, like, oh, you're the chubby girl. And... A very drunk Billy Christensen's, like, chubbo. And, like, obviously, Romy and Michelle were two kind of outsiders, but Michelle did still have Sandy Frank vying for her attention. She did not want him. She was not interested in him. But she was seen as valuable, as desirable, even though it was by this dorky guy. Mm -hmm. Romy had none of that. Romy was in love with this boy in high school who wanted nothing to do with her, and she was tortured because she was a fat girl. As someone who grew up as a fat girl, uh, that does not go away. That insecurity of how people refuse to treat you like a human being does not go away. And I think that's why they do have a little bit differing of perspectives, whether or not they recognize that's where it's coming from. Because even though Michelle was also a dork, she was still seen as something like aspiring to another person. And Romy had none of that.
3: That's a really interesting point too and yeah i mean and obviously this movie has an incredibly 90s relationship to fatness Mm -hmm. yeah
0: she is not fat at all you cannot tell me mira Mira sorvino is fat
1: like this takes place, like her being chubby is in the 80s and like we were particularly into fitness culture during the 80s
3: Mm -hmm. yeah and and but but i i think you're right i think that that feeds into their characters too but also on top of the idea that Michelle does kind of have that safety net of, like, there there is that desire for her in some corner. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of view Michelle as, you know, and this is just personally in, in, in my head, but I, I view Michelle as kind of an asexual character, or at least someone who's not interested in sex or romance in a really forward-looking way. Like, she accepts it when it comes, but, I mean, so it'd be something outside of, like, the asexual spectrum, I, I mean it in a,
1: like, I guess activity-wise way, mm-hmm. but
0: yeah, it's just not a
1: priority for her, ever. Yeah, I don't think of her necessarily as, like, asexual fully, but I think you're uh, kind of someone how I drifted through high school and a lot of my 20s, which is, like, I don't yearn for people, so I don't pursue people. If they come to me and they present themselves to me, like a girl in high school goes, I have a crush on and you go, okay, I guess we'll go on a date then. Like I had didn't know who you were, but alright, sure. That's kind of how I was, and I think that's very much how Michelle operates.
3: God, oh, Billy really looks cute in his
2: tux. He does look cute. Really cute. Do you think since this is the last night of school and I might never see him again? That maybe he would dance with me. I bet he would. I mean it's senior prom. Nobody's gonna say no to anyone tonight. Shall? Since this is the last night of school and all, would you care to dance with me once? No.
0: And I think we see that with her interactions at the reunion, where like Sandy, Frank, even in her dream, this uh, this movie has a wonderful long dream sequence. But even in the dream sequences, when Sandy's like approaching her, she's very much like, "Oh, okay, yeah, you want to kiss me? Okay." And like it is such a like, it's not romantic. It's not like, oh, we're being pulled together, like, in that typical movie sense. It's like, oh, this is what we're doing now. Okay, got it. Sorry, I'm on board now.
3: Yeah, like, she she accepts it when it comes, but it's, it's never something she's searching for.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And in a really silly way, I think we also see that before the reunion. I mean, they go to the clubs. They are way more interested in dancing with each other. It is put on Romy to be the one to find them boyfriends. Like, that is her goal. Um, and when they're even at the spin class and, you know, the the instructor's like, all right, let's jump. And there's the clear, like, hey, what does this make you think of? Because it <laughs> looks like fucking... Um, Romy is going hard. She is like up, down, up, down. And Michelle's just on the bike. (laughs) Like she's Uh not putting in any effort. It's like, oh, you're also a pillow princess. Okay, got it. I know where you are now. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of,
3: it's more of a shoulder shimmy than anything with the
1: hips. Yeah. Uh
0: (laughs) So I think that, you know, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of that going on. And I think that just Romy's insecurities are far more on Front Street because she does have so much more of a vested interest in the way she's perceived by other people because that's something that actually matters to her.
1: Yeah, um, I honestly think all of this kind of... This is a really beautiful way when we break it down where I'm realizing how much all of this walks hand in hand because I think so much of this stems from Michelle just being satisfied with her life. She doesn't necessarily... like She's not looking for a relationship, like maybe just a guy if it's presented, but yeah, but she's really just in love with being with her best friend in like a really positive way.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I love their friendship so very much. It makes me very happy because you know, a lot of people talk about the importance of like, Oh, that first love of your life kind of thing. And sometimes the first love of your life is your best friend. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we would see a lot of this sort of understanding um, as sex in the city becomes more popular Uh, Because as much as that show is about, like, these women in New York and, like, finding men. the the Having sex in the city. (laughs) Having (laughs) sex in the city. But it is ultimately about those four women. Like, the amount of times that Carrie Bradshaw talks to her laptop and is like, maybe the soulmates that I have are my best friends and men are just a perk. And I think that is a very radical and revolutionary idea for this time period. And I think that's also why maybe Romy and Michelle, like, they didn't know what to do with it. Because... You're going to have a bunch of male marketing execs. They've never been teen girls, nor have they ever put any vested interest in their lives. So they don't understand, like, why this is a thing.
3: Yeah, and and this is not a movie that, like, happily packages everything up with them both, like, gentlemen prefer blonde style, like, getting married in a double wedding or whatever. Like, that's not Mm -hmm. not what happens.
1: No, and... I think once we got to the 2000s, we started to see, like, friend movies like this become a lot more popular, particularly, like, with the bro comedies that, like, Seth Rogen and everyone that orbits him started to release, but... Even in the 2000s, you started to get things like The Sweetest Thing, which is also just like some best friends who are going on a road trip and enjoying each other's company and how it's just impeccable. And the romance of that movie is almost an afterthought in the way that like the romance is kind of an afterthought in this movie. Like, yeah, they end up getting with Alan Cumming like and fly off into a helicopter. But he's really more of like a, a piece of a spectacular ending, I feel like, than actually mm-hmm. like a pursuit.
0: Yes. 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 He just shows up and <laughs> then it's like, oh, you invented a special kind of rubber and wear these hilarious shoes. All right, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um So we've talked a bit about Ruby and Michelle and obviously we'll keep talking about them. But I also want to talk about uh my like just my echo character, which is Heather Mooney, <laughs> Janine Garofalo. <laughs> so, Brendan, how do you feel about Heather?
3: <laughs> I mean, I, I love Heather Mooney. I mean, she is Jeanine Garofalo at the height of her powers, just being <laughs> an absolute just jerk to everyone around her. And it, it is she she's owning her power, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there there is not there is not a single off line reading in her entire role. It is a, a plus top to bottom
0: agreed completely. She is such a great like juxtaposition against them because you know they're very bubbly and optimistic even when they are feeling their lowest, like there's still something very positive about them. Heather Mooney is bitter and cynical from Front Street <laughs> and mm-hmm. I love that about her. Uh Harmony, how about you?
1: I feel a strong kinship to Heather Mooney. <laughs> um, realistically, if you were to go ahead and be like, who are you in this movie? I'm like, well, I'm Heather Mooney energy, but like funneled through a Michelle. So like I would deliver awfulness, but with like aloofness. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like I feel her in my in like in, in in my bones, like deep below the surface of who I am. I'm like, oh, there's a monster just ready to tell someone to fuck off <laughs> at any <laughs> given moment. And I love her. Uh, She is truly, like, the Daria-type, rejected, too-good-for-school-fuck-you kind of bad girl. Like, the kind that we would see um, as, like, an aspirational character in, like, Freaks and Geeks, but, like, that's not who you are, it's just who you want to be. This is precisely who Heather Mooney is, all the way down to, like, her horrible treatment being ingrained in her career path to make quick-burning cigarettes.
0: Uh <laughs> yeah, I love Heather Mooney. I think that I am like a Romy mixed with Heather Mooney, but then also I was insufferable, so I would have been I would have forced my way into the into the uh the A group because mm-hmm. that's just who I was in high school, and I accept that about myself. But I love how much comedy Jenny Garofalo brings to this. Not only in her line readings, which are like you said, Brennan, they are all spectacular. But she gets to do a weird amount of like animated facial acting and they've made mm. her eyeliner so dark so that whenever she does anything with her eyes, it just like pops out of the screen. You know exactly how she's feeling, you know exactly what she's doing. Um, I also love that Janine Garofalo is like short, uh, especially compared to the two of them who are wearing like massive platforms the whole movie. Oh, so and when she's are <laughs> both
1: tall to begin with. Yeah. yeah. So
0: then she then storms into the uh, reunion and she's got this beautiful black dress, but she is short. And she is walking like she means business Like she's about to get in a fight And that's how I enter rooms So I feel very <laughs> seen by that uh, she's, she's fantastic I love her deeply And I also love the realization That uh, <laughs> why was she ever Into Sandy Frank um because that was definitely a, a moment that I had as an adult where I would like look back at people that I had the biggest crushes on in high school and I'm like the hell was I thinking what the fuck <laughs> my and, god yes uh, relatable moment um but obviously just you know she causes the 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 big lie to be revealed unintentionally because she's just so cranky that she can't realize like what's actually happening Um, and because of that, she inadvertently like makes their lives really shitty and miserable uh, for the rest of that reunion until obviously we get our aha moment. Um, but I think that that is who she is. She's that person who's going to like piss you off and like hurt you in ways that she doesn't realize just how deeply.
1: Oh, Heather Mooney loves that she gets to be the person to make someone's life miserable because she thought she never got to do that in high school. So she gets to do it in high school and at the high school reunion. She's just living the dream. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Poor Toby. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, and also, but she does have, like, I mean, there, there is the sense of, like, that, that prickliness that is so much of her is built around this incredibly sensitive, vulnerable center that she's trying to both squash and protect at all costs. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Because she obviously loves Sandy Frank and has had a huge crush forever. And it's one of those crushes that she carried that unrequited love with her into adulthood. And has kind of helped formulate who she is as a person. And as somebody who gladly wears a a tough bitch exterior to hide the fact that I am nothing but nougat on the inside, Mm -hmm. I relate.
3: (laughs) Like I, I think you can draw a direct line to her first moment of vulnerability, which is in the line at the Jaguar dealership, where she's talking about how in love she was with Sandy Frank, where she's like, you know, I was very much in love very much (laughs) and just like kind of defending herself to the the line at large um you can draw a direct line from that to her finally agreeing to sign toby's yearbook. um it's where it's like everything else is this this bramble patch like of maleficent thorns um but the things that strike right to her core like she is actually she cares deeply about
1: yeah and it's one of those things where you you build up like this thorn, this barrier, so that like don't touch me. Like you you have these defenses put up, but it's something that we see in like a movie like Just Friends, where when you are back in like the environment you were when you were small and vulnerable, and you're surrounded by all these people who only know that version of you, like you get infantilized immediately, and then that just makes you have to be more defensive. Mm-hmm.
0: And speaking of that. Let's talk about the A group because I have so many feelings about Christy Masters and crew. But Brendan, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on them first.
3: Okay. Well, I mean, obviously, this is kind of a, a, a proto plastics. Well, it's it's it's. I guess it's that evolution between the Heather's and the plastics in Mean mm-hmm. Girls. Yes. Um, it, it's very much that kind of like caricatured high school thing. Obviously, uh, Christy Masters Christensen um she is obvious well she's she's meant to be the thing that well she's the thing that Romy thinks she wants to be
1: Mm
3: -hmm. um she's married to billy she and like all of her friends are pregnant at the same time (laughs) um but she's just this colossal terror who has built up a facade of the perfect life but she's secretly miserable in her marriage the only thing that brings her joy is just being absolutely horrible to people Um, in a way that I say I I actually I don't have that actress's name in front of me unfortunately Um, but she she does deliver that perfectly Um, like the part in, in the microphone where she's introducing herself she's like I'm Christy Masters Christensen hmm (laughs) (laughs)
0: i uh so in reading a little bit of research and i think it was in this same today article if it was not my apologies um but the actress is named julia campbell she almost didn't get the role because producers didn't think she was pretty enough to be kind of like the queen bee like mean girl which obviously every woman on staff was like but you don't understand like you don't have to be like unbelievably hot to be the meanest most popular girl in school which I think is very interesting Um, but she did share a very cute anecdote that her own teenage daughter like flipped out because it was like BuzzFeed or somebody did a list of like the all-time great high school mean girls and her mom was number four. Um, She was like yeah you did it. Uh, Christy Masters Christensen Whenever I talk on the show about the times that I have gone back home to my hometown and, like, people were really nice to me because, like, oh, I had cancer and almost died or, oh, they see that I work in the industry now and they want to feel cool, it's all of them. Like, that's Mm -hmm. the group that I'm talking about is my high school's version of that group. And I had this very interesting moment happen um, not that long ago where Facebook was recommending me to be friends with someone on Facebook who I was not friends with for intentional reasons because I don't like them. And she had just gotten married, and I looked at the picture of her wedding party, and every single person was somebody that we went to high school with. And I had this moment where I'm like, can you imagine getting married to somebody from our high school, uh, getting married 10, 11, 12 years after graduation, And every single person in your wedding party is someone that you have known since you were 12 years old. You have not grown. You have not left your hometown. You have not had new experiences. This is just everything for you. And I was like, couldn't be me. Could not be me. (laughs) Some
1: people might call that idyllic. Like that's the dream, isn't it? That's the dream you have as like a five-year-old where you map out your whole life and it goes according to your plans and nothing ever got in the way and it was perfect and then you eventually end up moving out of your small town and find some mechanic in the city because Lifetime movies.
2: I don't even watch TV anymore. My priorities have changed since I became a mommy. Can you believe this is number three? Wow, three kids. God, you must feel really
0: tied down. Not at all. I feel very fulfilled. Yeah, and I mean, like, this isn't me trying to, like, shit on people who are still friends with people from high school. Obviously, my best friend in the entire world has been my best friend since we were 14 years old, and that is how that is. But there's more to me than just my hometown and my high school experience, and there are a lot of people that there isn't more to them, and... I know there are a a million reasons why this could have happened, but for somebody like Christy Masters Christensen, where this is what she aspired and wanted nothing more, like, that is where I get the disconnect. I'm like, how could you not want more? How could Mm -hmm. you, like, not even the opportunity to want more or explore? Like, I know plenty of people who married people they knew, like, in high school or very early in college, but they, like, did things. Like, they've seen the world. They've gone places. They've met new friends. Like, Christy and all them being pregnant at the same time like that is hell to me like that is my personal form of hell
3: yeah it's so yeah I mean I get I think as especially as queer people we tend to move away from the place where we grew up on average Mm -hmm. Uh, but there are some people who thrive in the snow globe and the idea of having to navigate the things outside of that is just deeply unpleasant to them because Mm -hmm. they they know where their place is and they just sink their feet into the muck
1: yeah, it's, it's easy knowing every little corner of your environment and having your life mapped out. Like, it's not scary. It's predictable. And a lot of people like that. Um, the thing that I think is actually really funny is that we just went back to, like, northeast Ohio. And we got back, like, six days ago. And... The thing that I think is really interesting is that we talk to a lot of people. Some people we love and missed and we're really happy to see. Some people we just ran into at a bar and they were all like, wow, you live in L.A.? And like that was like they were amazed without us having to go further than that. And I just think it's really interesting that they have this approach of like, oh, yeah, we're two single women living in L.A. And that's really cool. And Romeo and Michelle are going to lead with that. And then they go, that's actually not enough because whatever but when you go to a small town like that kind of is enough sometimes
0: yeah I, I I agree completely and you're totally right I think there is something about the allure of la if you are from anywhere else in the country than California because you you get kind of this starry-eyed vision of what it is. And I mean, to some extent, even Romy and Michelle kind of have that because Mm -hmm. they talk about it in their prom scene where they're dancing and they're like, look at all these losers. We're going to have such a great life when we live in LA. And they do have a great life. It's just the life that works for them. And this whole movie is sort of like the, you know, don't judge a fish by how they ride a bicycle sort of thing where it's like they were never meant to be the people that were going to stay in Tucson and... Marry their high school sweethearts and get pregnant and have a bunch of kids and be miserable like that's not what they were going to do. And even though they're not doing what Lisa Luter did and becoming like an associate editor for Vogue, the fact that they got out like that's enough for them. And I think that that there's something really powerful in knowing that sometimes just getting out is enough.
3: Yeah, and well especially there there's so much you know birds of, of, of a feather with each other and unlike anyone else around them um, it's the I'd, I'd say that the movie kind of posits they're also unlike most of the people in LA that they find themselves surrounded with but that's a place where there is a place for them where they can open a boutique store eventually and be successful with the things that they are good at mm-hmm. and that that could not Possibly have happened for them in Tucson the way that it happens for them in LA, mm-hmm. um, but at the, at the beginning of the movie, the, the thing that's on on paper for everyone that's great that spectacular beachside apartment in Venice, like oh okay. my god, uh-huh. yeah,
0: <laughs> like how did you get that? I hope they're still living there because the rent must be insane at this point. Yeah, and Michelle is unemployed, right? <laughs> they can afford this apartment. <laughs> yeah, Romy works reception at what like a card repair shop or a like it's, a rental dealership it's a dealership. jaguar
3: it's a jaguar dealership
0: da- jaguar dealership beautiful yeah like <laughs> and they're just affording beachside apartment beautiful uh, yeah, it, right off the boardwalk
3: <laughs> god it's just like as an as a southern california slash la person th- that apartment is the this bizarre fantasy to me in the same way that the line in clueless of you can get anywhere in la in 15 minutes is Oh, that's the
1: biggest lie. (laughs) That is a fantasy I want. (laughs) Yeah, but but it's beautiful fantasy. Yeah, when we were in Cleveland, we were like looking at the map because we were having to drive a lot of places, and it's like, oh no, it's like 15 miles. And then we look at the GPS and it's like, oh, we'll be there in 12 minutes. 15 miles (laughs) in LA is like... Over an hour. That's your day. Yeah. Your
0: whole day. God, it was like,
1: wow, we got spoiled just being able to like hit the road and having room to run. It was like Bruce Springsteen, like, baby, we were born to run. It was amazing. (laughs) But like, uh, speaking of people like living their dreams and also like this proto midsection between the plastics and the Heathers. Um, can we talk about Lisa for a little bit because she breaks the mold and we can see Mm -hmm. elements of that during like the flashback where she's like actually I think their clothes aren't that bad and then she succumbs to peer pressure and goes actually uh, no they're not because you're giving me mean looks and then she goes on to do fashion and compliment them on their frisky style so like you're capable of breaking out of whatever like high school bullshit you're part of in high school and it not mattering and like we get to see that in so many different elements, like throughout the tiers of like their A, B, C and other tiers of high school.
3: Yeah. And, and I think part of it is geographical because she doesn't live in Tucson either. And mm-hmm. same, with, same with Heather Mooney. Same with Sandy Frank. Everyone who is successful in the way that the movie genuinely thinks
0: is successful um, left. Mm-hmm. And I think... This has always been my read of Lisa Luter. Um, I think that she's a lesbian. I think that she got out of Tucson, is now living her best life with some like beautiful woman in New York while she works at Vogue. That's why she has a really cool short haircut and wears, you know, pantsuits now. Um, and like a very bold red lip, and also why she's able to be so mean to the girls that were mean to her in high school Mm -hmm. um that's my take on it and i know that that is possibly a little bit of wish fulfillment because i love elaine Hendricks so much this is her second appearance on the show and she's got more to come Mm -hmm. um but (laughs) i love the the lisa luter character because i agree with you brennan her bowing to peer pressure is sort of that like not quite Gretchen Wieners but like you know the it's better to be in with the with the crowd and hating your life than to not be in it at all and she recognizes that she's Is a survival tactic. She's just trying to get through high school because she wants to stay with this, get it done and then get the fuck out and do what she's going to do after. Um, And obviously she does mature a bit because she does have a very vindictive smile when they decide they're going to put magnets on Michelle's back. But when she gets to the actual reunion, she's like, yeah, I'm here because I want those girls that I used to be friends with to know they ain't shit. And I love that.
3: And, and, all that to say, like, uh, ultimately, you know, if you still live in the town where you went to high school, that is fine. Um, but it, it is the thing of, like, this movie really l- likes to highlight that that fishbowl thing that, uh, BJ, you were talking about with that person who's only with the kids that they were with in high school. And just the, the kind of refusal to grow away from that in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I, I don't. Like, that, that's thats really what it kind of boils down to, is it's not like, oh, hey, well, if you live in your small town, you suck. That's not it. Like, I love Cleveland, but, like, Cleveland was me getting out of my small town when I was, like, 18, 19 years old, and then spent my whole adult life there. But it's a matter of pointing out that some people thrive in different circumstances, and some people are not designed to thrive in a small town.
0: I am that person. Um I mean, even leaving the Chicagoland area for Cleveland was a big deal because it meant that I was at least going somewhere that was not familiar to me and having to start over and having to sort of prove myself in a place where I didn't have, you know, decades of establishing who I am. And I like to say that I did pretty well for myself when I was there. But I do not thrive well in a place like Cleveland where you can – get by working like a you know a part-time service industry job and being able to contribute to rent like so a lot of people get really comfortable a lot of people are just like here I am hanging out and like if that's what you want to do that's that's great I can't do that I need like a lot of stuff going on at once to keep me motivated otherwise I just will not do shit you need Um, to be
1: panicking otherwise you get lazy
0: (laughs) kind of (laughs) maybe yes I talk about this with my therapist but uh, the
1: the way I always defer the way that we always refer to it is like I'm like a shark if I stop swimming I die
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I stopped swimming in Cleveland, and I almost died, Um, so it's a good thing that we left, but um, I mean, and and I just do want to echo what you were saying, Harmony, like, this is not like a, hey, if you're in your hometown, like, you suck, that's not what it is at all, it is specifically the mindset of people who hit their peak in high school and have refused to let go of it, like, Mm. that is the thing I cannot get behind, and that's who these characters are, and, again, like, what is success? Like, what is success to you? And to me, like, I mean, we get a speech from Sandy Frank about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, speaking of, let's let's talk about Sandy Frank. Brennan, thoughts? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, uh, on this
3: rewatch, I kind of noticed how little he really is in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Alan Cumming has three extremely different char- Sandy characters to play in this movie. hmm um, you know he's he starts off as the kind of lovelorn horny teen. Mm-hmm. Um, in the dream sequence, he has, he has that very strange Killian uh, Murphy face putty going on.
1: Oh, the blue <laughs> the, eyes are
3: what the scares blue eye me.
0: Contacts.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's deeply unsettling to me. <laughs> uh huh.
0: Um,
3: and then in uh, in in the in the third act, uh, if if you really look at it in the sense of just what. Sandy is doing at the prom or no at the at the reunion. He he walks in, he does a dance, we'll get to it. And then he leaves. And he's just he is he's a character that operates entirely in relationship to Michelle at all times, which I mm-hmm. think is where that character belongs in this type of movie. But other than the fact that Alan Cumming plays him and is very good at it, I don't find Sandy a particularly interesting figure.
1: Uh no, not really. And bless Alan Cumming. He's he's fantastic in this movie because he takes any role and makes it the best version of that role. Uh I also find it a little distracting that his American accent doesn't quite come together in this film.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. it's a little all over the place at times. It depends on what he's doing. Like I secretly love his accent when he's supposed to be like handsome, I got a new face guy. Oh, his dreamboat (laughs) accent? His dreamboat (laughs) accent because it does not exist in any world (laughs) and it just makes it really good. Um my personal favorite Sandy though, I love high school Sandy because he's so pathetic and cute just like oh Michelle, Michelle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so funny. I also love that, you know, he has to have the giant notebook to hide his massive boners. Uh, that mm-hmm. is a very like high school thing. Like we don't talk about the no apparent reason boner uh, nearly enough as we should have in movies um outside of it being like a uh, vis- like visual gag. Um mm-hmm. so I like that they include that. But I think that Sandy at the reunion is, again, like exactly who that character is supposed to be. He's clearly not reached out to Michelle over the last 10 years when he has all the resources available as humanly possible he could have. He's elected not to because, again, she didn't want him in high school, so he doesn't want her to... Not want him now, but this is his chance. They're in the same room. They're in that same proximity. Maybe that will change the dynamic, just like in high school, where you're with people because they happen to be who is closest to you from a geographical standpoint, but he's still a weirdo, like (laughs) because they do the dance, and that's a weird thing to do.
1: Most millionaires are weirdos.
0: That's very true. That's a great point. Eat the rich, except Sandy Frank. (laughs) um so let's talk about the dance Brennan let the dance (laughs) okay well it's this just
3: glorious absurd third act climax dance okay so essentially you know Romy and Michelle have a fight on the way into Tucson they decide that they are going to attend the reunion separately thus begins the okay Sorry, I'm going to derail a tiny tiny bit. That's fine, derail um, away. There is we've talked about it. There is a extended dream sequence that lasts 15 minutes that's basically a sliding door scenario of what would happen if Roman and Michelle never became friends again. Mm-hmm. Um while I think that there is no individual moment in that dream sequence that is bad and in fact many sequences are hilarious including Cameron Mannheim sliding into the sunroof to shout oh about it. Oh my the, god.
0: <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah.
3: Um I feel like I don't love the fact that it's there and taking up so much space because the movie's already so shaggy and I feel like it really does weird things to the pacing of that moment. <laughs> um, at, le- at least for me. It, 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 it's just, it's, it's weird. Because I, I enjoy it all the way through, but I, I just kind of wish everything was happening in real life because real life in Romeo and Michelle is so over the top and cartoonish already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But But case in point... The most cartoonish moment does exist in the, the canon of the movie. When she wakes up, Romy and Michelle get back together as friends, um, and Sandy Frink shows up, his one goal is to, you know, woo Michelle, and she's like, Alright, sure. But as long as Romy can come along, because that's their relationship. Romy and Michelle are best friends and they will not be separated by anyone. And thus begins this dance that is <laughs> it is it, it probably best described as an interpretive dance um with the three of them kind of there's a bit of a a scottish jig going on from sandy frank at one point lots of faux ballet twinkle toes going on lots of posing in statue statue poses (laughs) um but it's this both incredibly hilarious wild thing that you've never seen before but also like this perfect encapsulation of the way that the relationships in this movie are going to function um going forward essentially because the most important relationship in michelle's life is Romy, so it's like if i have a romantic relationship Romy will still be a fragment of it, it it's not she's never going away and Romy is it, it's this very physical manifestation of that of like Romy and Michelle work together Romy and Sandy work together Sandy and Michelle work together But Romy also lets Sandy and Michelle Have a little bit more time Than she takes with either of them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of like Push and pull Of what what that is It's fascinating and hilarious <laughs>
0: And something that I think is really interesting about it is so in that dance sequence too, you can also very much see all of their training on display. Alan Cumming obviously is a big Broadway guy. He, can do whatever he wants. But you look at the background and like occasionally Mira Sorvino is doing like very good technique in her dancing and you're just like where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um and something that people may not know is that the characters of Romy White and Michelle Weinberger exist in a play that was written by Robin Schiff called Ladies Room and they were originally just kind of like side characters cuz the whole thing is about like a, the the bathroom at a bar which any cis woman or any trans woman who has been able to safely have access to the women's restroom at a bar or club knows that it exists in its own planet. Like it, the rules are entirely different in that bathroom. Um, And it's very hard to explain unless you've actually been in one and, like, been part of, like, the bathroom community. But that's what that play is about. Um, But Romy and Michelle were these, like, side characters who really just, like, wanted to pick up guys at the club, uh, which I think is why we get, like, the club scenes throughout this, this movie. But the characters were so great and... Lisa Kudrow originated the role of Michelle so like this has been her role forever which I think is lovely. Um those were the characters that producers were like no make a movie about them they're great. Um and I think that in a weird way like this dance sort of feels like paying homage to its stage origins because in a play or in a musical a random dream ballet makes complete sense and no one questions it. But in real life, a dream ballet, because that's what this is, it's a dream ballet, but everyone is awake and conscious and seeing it in front of their own eyes <laughs> feels insane. But it just is so delightful and wonderful. And the fact that it's to time after time is really perfect because that's them getting to reclaim this, the sad song from their prom when their lives were shitty. Um, So it's like this beautiful poetic full circle where not only do they get to take back like the pain from that song, but they get to do it in their own way, which is ridiculous.
3: And, and also just time after time is probably the most perfect pop ballad ever performed. (laughs) Um, It's really
0: wonderful. It cost them $240,000 to license that song for this movie.
3: Yeah, worth it. Also, I mean, top to bottom bangers on this soundtrack, by the way. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, like it's uh, really funny that like No Doubt opens this film, which obviously No Doubt was very huge in the mid nineties, and then the rest of the movie is soundtracked to stuff they would have listened to in high school. So it's all new wave.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: And oh man, that uh don't get me wrong by the pretenders drop I always yeah. get very excited by.
0: It's very very good. <laughs> so we know that they get a little bit of their redemption arc um, at the reunion, but they do also have a really shitty moment that happens before their big dance, which is when they you know they get busted in their lie, and then Christy Masters Christensen because she is an evil bitch, um, could have just kept that to herself and just. You know, been like, ha, let me laugh about this with my friends later, but instead decides to broadcast it to everybody because she's an evil bitch. Um, but we we get before the dance, Romy finally like sticking up for herself and chewing out Christy Masters in a way that is so satisfying. Because I think a lot of us wish that we had the the chance to acceptably do that to the people who made our lives hell in high school.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, the, 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 it, it's it's a total, like, power fantasy of, like, I'm an adult now. You can't treat me like this. I'm sticking up for my teen self. But also, like, Christy making an active effort to ruin their lives is totally projecting because she's also lying about her life, mm-hmm. which is something that we've just not even brought up yet, is that, like, oh, hey... um Yeah, Billy's working in like real estate or whatever, and it's like, no, he puts up drywall, and she actually hates her marriage, and Billy cheats on her, and she ends up wearing gross pregnancy panties to her fancy thing while trying to look beautiful and perfect. And
3: Billy implies that she might also be cheating on him. Like, it's just all all a
0: facade. Yeah, Yeah, it's all a mess. And not only do we get to have Romy, you know, yell at them to be like, you're a nasty bitch with an evil heart. Uh, Great line. Um, But her just being like, we lied so that you would treat us like human beings. Like that I think is super cutting. Of course, Michelle has her, you know, and yeah, which is (laughs) great. Just comedic gold. Uh, But even Lisa Luter gets in on it because, you know, Christy tries to shit on her and is like, you're a washed up, ball busting career woman. And, you know, we're all happily married. And she's like, oh yeah, keep telling yourself that. The first time I heard that line, I was like, oh, I need to save that one and keep it in the back pocket because that's going to come in handy sometime.
1: (laughs) Here's a question I have for you both, because you're more intimately familiar with this movie and did not see it in weird out of out of order fragments on TV like I did. So we criticize the dream sequence that goes on for seemingly ever as being like kind of out of place and being funny but drags the it, it derails the film and kind of brings it to a halt a little bit. I think that that makes sense in hindsight, but do you remember what it was like the first time you saw it?
0: For me it came full circle like when you hit a joke for too long and it stops being funny, but then because you keep doing it it comes back around and becomes funny again. That's how that dream sequence works for me because at first i'm like okay this is going on for way too long and then when it jumps into the future and they're old i'm like okay no i'm back in like this is really funny and the fact that she's like an old woman running around with her medal from <laughs> <laughs> from a reunion because the reunion also operates under dream logic in a way that i think is really clever in the sense that, like, you have kind of, like, the, oh, no, I was in front of everyone in my underwear. And, like, you get that for Michelle who shows up. Like, I I couldn't find my top. Like, that's great. Mm-hmm. Sandy's weird face is really funny. They drive um,
1: cars into a building. There's balloons in the shape of the refrigerator magnets that were stuck to her.
0: Exactly. Like, there's a lot of, like, little dream logic things going on, which I think that makes it really interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, I do agree with Brendan. I think that there's so much interesting and hilarious stuff like in their actual life that I wish that we could have seen all of that, but I understand its purpose and it is a bold swing to be like, we're having a dream sequence that is 15 minutes long.
3: <laughs> yeah. It, it's very bold and it, it, it is in keeping with the fact that this film wants to be as weird as possible. Cause it is a weird choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, like I said, I don't think there's an individual moment in the dream that is bad. Um, mm-hmm. Like Sandy Frank saying, like running over Lisa Kudrow with his limo and just the, first of all, the way she flies into the yes. air, that, that dummy just goes <laughs> and just her kind of casual, like, ow, ooh, ow, like rolling over the entire limo. And, and then he's just like. Well, step in step in. I've got boxes of Kleenex in my car. <laughs> <laughs> I oh. love
0: that they get in there too and then it echoes to give you an uh-huh. idea of how big it is. Like this is so stupid. I love it. Yeah,
3: so like all, all of that's great, but I, I I think I'm a I'm too literal of a film viewer. Um, like there, there's this thing just in me when I watch movies, like if I'm ever watching a horror movie where they're like, Oh, is the ghost real or is it in the person's head? I don't really care because it's, it's fiction. So none of it's real. So I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm the same way. (laughs) Um, and so the same thing, I guess it's kind of the opposite of like when it's a dream sequence, it, mm, Maybe maybe it's just because I'm trained by horror movies where it's like usually the best things happen in a dream sequence and then they reset and they're like, no, let's do something boring. Um that extends to this comedy as well. I just I, I don't really like fucking around with the internal reality of a movie in in whatever way.
0: Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. Like, absolutely. And I do agree with you, like there really isn't any like low point of the dream sequence. Another great part of, like, dream logic that I love is Michelle knowing the recipe for glue. Yes. Um, (laughs) Which is, like, of course not a thing she's going to know in real life, so it just (laughs) makes perfect sense. I also love um, how much better everyone looks in the dream. Like, the way that she styles them is a lot Mm -hmm. better than when she actually gets there, which I think is very interesting. And, of course, you know, she imagines... Lisa being with all of them and like you know all of them never changing and this is going to be this big thing and then you realize after the fact that like no Lisa left like there's a lot of things that they don't actually know about the people they went to high school with because they pieced the fuck out and never looked back and to, you know to bring back to your point at the beginning there's no social media they don't know what these people are up to yet mm-hmm. which Brings me to a question that I wanted to ask all of us. I mean, I already know Harmony's answer (laughs) because we live together. But did either of you go to your high school reunions? Well, um,
3: I don't I don't think they had one for me because my tenure would have been this year. Um, And so if they had so, okay, pandemic aside, if there wasn't one of those, I would have gone just to see what that was like. But mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't have gone with any expectation of literally anything, just just out of a pure anthropological curiosity kind of perspective. Um, but no, I if they had one, I was not informed, and I certainly wouldn't have gone to a big group of uh, former high schoolers right now.
0: <laughs> what was your graduating class size?
3: Oh, uh, I think six hundred people.
0: Okay, so yours was also huge. Yeah, mine was also huge. I got invited. Uh, I did not go um, because of two reasons. One, um, all the people I was friends with in high school were older than me, so they wouldn't have been there anyway, and I didn't really care. And Mm -hmm. two, uh, I have social media. Any of the people that I want to know what they're up to either would not have gone or I already know because they post about it on Instagram so I didn't feel the need to do it and our reunion was held at a restaurant that has like a party room so one it would not have fit everybody and two it's the restaurant with a party room where my mom used to do Zumba on the beach so that's like weird to me like I'm not gonna go back to my hometown to eat dinner with people I don't like at a place where my mom does Zumba on Thursdays at seven like we're not doing that yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a little grim. Yeah. <laughs> Harmony, how about you?
1: Uh, I did not go. Mine would have been in uh, 2009. I did get invited, though. But the thing is, like, we didn't have it at, like, the high school. We weren't renting out, like, a ballroom or anything for it. I specifically got, like, a Facebook invite from somebody whose name I don't recognize because I don't remember most of the people from my graduating class because I did truly did not care. I was Janine Garofalo. <laughs> um The thing is, like, what they were doing was, like, we're going to rent We're going to get this whole section of Jacob's Field. Oops, I mean, progressive field to catch a Cleveland Indians game. And then afterwards, we're going to go to this hotel rooftop area and have a party. And, like, that sounds better than going to a ballroom and just having, like, the very stereotypical reunion. But also, I don't want to go to a baseball game, much less for the Indians. And I don't really want to hang out with any of you Period. But what was really interesting, though, was the uh, event invite was worded in a way where I felt like they were talking to me specifically. Uh, oh, Be- because like it was worded in a way for it, it was it was just like the event page was for everyone, so it was not like they sent me a message. But it was said like, "Oh, well, I know some of us are mighty different and identify in real different ways than we were when we saw each other last." Ha ha. Anyway, um partners are welcome and it was just like oh really God. inclusive language <laughs> that felt specifically targeting me because I don't think anyone else from my graduating class came out as trans and I'm sure I know that some of them ended up coming out as queer but it just felt like hey you totally come hang out with us and I was like no you all were really homophobic absolutely not
3: <laughs> it's yeah. just- come, come to the progressive stadium harmony it's so progressive <laughs>
0: It's so progressive that the the baseball team at the time had a uh, very offensive caricature on all of their merchandise. How cute. Thankfully, they're gone now. They are now the Cleveland Guardians.
1: I'm very pleased with the painful death of Chief Wahoo and everything he stood for.
0: God, terrible. But I do think it's really funny that that (laughs) was how they approached you to go to your reunion. Yeah. Um, Because... uh, This is maybe me being cynical because I'm a bad person and that's how I am. I would bet money that they really wanted you to come to that reunion because they really needed
1: to know. (laughs) Probably. I mean, I did get a message from somebody I graduated with a couple weeks ago that was like, by the way, I'm trans and came out this year. Um, will you be my best friend and usher in everything that I don't know about being trans? Because it'll be mutually beneficial for us to be trans friends. And I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know you. This is a
0: toddler asking a high schooler to be friends. Like, no. (laughs) Yeah, but
1: also it was saying, like, I remember us having really good friendships in school. And I was like, we stopped talking to each other in, like, fourth grade. Yeah, everyone was like, I like Pokemon, so we were all friends for that year. It was nice, but, like, we haven't talked since, like, Boy Scouts, (laughs) so, like, (laughs) and then as soon as I was like, oh, yeah, I don't live in Cleveland, I live in LA, they went, oh, okay, well, we can still talk if you want, but (laughs) it was like, (sighs) you, you wanted me to usher you around the city and basically be, like, your fairy godmother of transness, and, like, I don't know, like, that's just, that's a lot of work for me, that's not friendship, that's, like, a is one-way street. I just don't... I don't need to hang out with people I went to high school with. I don't need more friends.
0: <laughs> so... I'm sorry for laughing at you because, like, that's not a funny situation, but it's also a really funny situation. Um, so I think thinking, it's funny. <laughs> thinking about, though, kind of this this ending of Romy and Michelle, they get to open their own boutique. It seems to be doing very well. It's fun. It's funky. They have all of their really fun designs. Uh, we know that they've gotten a, a substantial loan from Sandy in order to open it. Do we think that Sandy and Michelle are still together?
1: I think so. Yeah,
3: I think so.
0: Okay, good. Cuz that's where I'm at too, but I've gotten in arguments with people about this where they're like, "No, I don't think so." And I'm like, "I think they absolutely are." Um <laughs> so I I am glad that we're all on the same page. I also do love that uh Heather gets to get one last like sarcastic one-liner in in the ending scene where she buys that genuinely cute like little like lemon and black dress that I think is great, and they tell her that she, uh, you know, do you know the smoking's bad for you? And she's like, no one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Gold. Absolute gold. It's it's fantastic. And I, I don't know. I love that this movie ends with them kind of getting out on top and this thing they were so stressed out about and the thing that was like go, about to ruin their friendship Ended up being the best possible thing that could have happened for them. They got to tell off the people that pissed them off in high school. They got to be at the reunion as themselves wearing those fantastic dresses. And now they get a boutique because they were able to reconnect with Sandy who has an ass load of money.
3: Yeah. And and also they get all the things that they deserve, but it was not the things that they, but especially Romy, wanted at the beginning of the movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those things, again, Michelle doesn't know she wants something until she's presented with it, and Romy had to like get over some hurdles before she could get on that level. So it's like, oh hey, we just ended up doing this thing that we love, and didn't even consider it as an option. Look at that, you've turned your passion into a hustle, which is the most exactly. L.A. thing I can think of. <laughs> I mean, yeah, know.
0: Um, So, to kind of close things up, I do want to talk about something we've all hinted around but haven't, like, really dove deep in. I want to talk about the aesthetic and the fashion and the makeup in this movie because it is unreal how good it is.
1: Oh, yeah. Even when they wear, like, black suits, they're very fashionable cuts. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a 90s single lawyer suit that just looks good. Like, that woman is gonna take all of that divorced dude's money for his ex-wife. And I like it. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, like, it... their boring outfit. Exactly. Well, I mean, the thing about them is that
3: it, it feels like their fashion sense was beamed in from another dimension. Yes. Um, In a very, very good way. But they're, they're, they're drag outfits. You know, just everything is turned up to 11. I love the outfits that they wear to work out
0: oh my god yeah they're so good
3: <laughs> in, in, especially the the chunky platform heels on the treadmill
0: that's how you um, get good it's be
3: calves so, yeah it's gonna be great calves oh my god yeah but but i mean there, there's a line where Romy's weighing herself and, and uh, michelle's like did you subtract 16 pounds for your shoes
0: <laughs> i like i love everything they wear in this i love the clothing that they've created i love that michelle is an, uh, an appreciator of the chunky earring. I think that's a great mm-hmm. look. Um, I have been trying to do my eyelashes the way that Mira Sorvino does in this movie my entire life. I've never figured it out because they are just so perfect and beautiful. There's a lot of really good eyelash acting in this movie that sounds really weird, but... <laughs> They use the false eyelashes to their benefit in terms of emoting, which I think is really, really great. Um, and then there's also that very, very nice close-up on Alan Cummings' face when he talks about like the one thing he doesn't have is Michelle, and he looks up at her, and his eyelashes are just beautiful. They're so lovely. Um, <laughs> but my favorite outfit in this whole movie, and I pointed it out when we were watching it, I love when they're at the laundromat, And Romy is wearing the white shirt with the the playing card, like the three of hearts, I think. And then she has uh dice earrings in. It's such a subtle but like really well put together look because to me, that outfit alone is like this is a deliberate choice. These earrings go with this shirt and it doesn't matter that I'm at the laundromat. I am going to look put together and I am going to look like I am making a statement. And that is everything that they wear. It is all about a statement and I'm obsessed with it. (laughs)
2: All I ever wanted was for people to think that we were better than we were in high school. And now we're just a stupid joke, just like we always were. No, Romy. Can I tell you the truth? I never knew that we weren't that great in high school. I mean, we always had so much fun together. I thought high school was a blast. And until you told me that our lives weren't good enough, I thought everything since high school was a blast. I think we should go back out there as ourselves and just have fun like we always do. The hell with everyone else. I don't think I can. Well, do you think you can stop being such a baby? God, I feel like I've been like chasing you all over this reunion. We have come all this way. Now we are going to enjoy ourselves whether you like it or not. God, Michelle, I've never seen this side of your personality before. You're so bossy and domineering. I like it. Me too.
1: (laughs) The closest comparison I could think to them, like, visually in this decade would be something like, um, very, very D-Light, you know? Uh, A Groove is in the Heart, or like an Oolala from Space Channel 5, where, like, One's from a different decade and one's from literal space. So that's where these outfits kind of feel like they belong. And having this come out in 1997, like they're, they're catching the start of a wave that will lead into like the late 90s where all of the outfits get like ridiculously like metallic and shiny and music and media gets stupid happy. It's basically soundtrack to Steal My Sunshine by Len and it all looks like this and it's fantastic. And it almost feels like they're responsible for it in like their own specific fashion aesthetic, even though they're not.
3: Yeah, and 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 their outfits—they like speak to the characters kind of nonstop too. Like wh- one little element that I had read about in that Vogue piece that I talked about that I had never noticed before, is that in the iconic outfits at the end that they wear for the the dance sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romy's dress has a
1: Starfleet insignia right on the front yes. of it. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's, it does. <laughs> it's distracting. I've like always see that and go, is that supposed to look like Star Trek? Because it looks like Star Trek. It is. It's exactly
3: that. And actually, in that oral history, they said they're surprised that no one has ever tried to sue them over it because they just put it in. (laughs) Um, But I think that's really interesting because I'm pretty sure that idea came from Mira Sorvino. And she was like, I think my character is really into Star Trek. And I think that's something that you would not expect from the way that these characters engage in pop culture. So I I think that it's it's kind of because that moment is when she finally gets to fully be herself at the end of the movie and she lets out even this weird thing that she probably kept in the closet of I don't want people to perceive me as a nerd for watching Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I think that that's it, yeah. really
0: smart too because yeah the I I've always caught it and in my brain I'm like that has to be intentional. So thank you for like putting to bed this like constant nagging thought I've had for 25 years. <laughs> um but you're you're totally right because if she's already getting made fun of at school She's not going to add to that by being like, "Also, I'm super into Star Trek, and it's in the at the time high school, so be the 80s. Um, it has not become cool yet to like Star Trek, um, mm-hmm. and no. it was not cool to like it in the 90s either. I mean, we were getting there, but it wasn't where it is now yet. Um, I think that that's really interesting and. I bring this up all the time but it reminds me of my dad who is like very macho masculine Italian guy but loves Lost in Space and loves a bunch of like really nerdy shit but don't let anyone else know that sorry I just outed it on a podcast that's listened <laughs> to by thousands of people It's fine um, he doesn't know. He doesn't he doesn't know how to use the internet it's fine. But like um, important
1: question on that subject BJ speaking of friends how does your uh, dad feel about the 90s Lost in Space? He does With not Matt, like it. He doesn't like the Matt LeBlanc <laughs> no, the Lost he doesn't in like Space. It. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I mean, he shouldn't. It's not good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I really like the fashion in this movie a lot because it is so much of, a. it is part of the character, and it's so important that it almost becomes its own character. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's there's great color theory
1: going on in this, too. I was about to say that.
0: Yeah, because Christy is always in, like, Lavender, like, her little group of friends. They all have, like, their distinguished, like very easter egg colored outfit which is also why in the dream sequence everybody is wearing like easters and beige and like all these pastel colors and Dusty then even, rose yeah even them wearing black suits at that point is like different from what everyone else is doing in the dream which i think is you know it, it's smart it's very good language like cinematic language i guess um but you see from the very beginning that even when they were in high school like they dressed completely different than everybody else and that's what made them outsiders because everyone else was doing kind of the same look every single day and they continued having that same look well into their adulthood and i just i love it i love when costumes tell a story we just talked about kick-ass on our patreon and that movie also does a lot of that like color theory with these characters which i think is great Mm -hmm. That is
3: great, and also something you said actually really reminded me because like their costumes evolve from high school through where they currently are too. Because in high school they're very much doing Madonna. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. In the current age, they are doing Romy and Michelle.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, and but there's also like little elements to that too, like because at the prom we hear Michelle compliment Romy by saying like "You look so good with blonde hair and black roots," like that's her thing, and then as an adult. Romy is blonde but she has this like dark brown streak in the front of her like bangs that pop up from time to time and like in my brain I'm like is that her version of you got a compliment when you were in high school and then you've just continued doing it forever and it's why I still do cat eyeliner I'll be (laughs) first to admit that (laughs) that was my thing then and it worked and I'm not letting it go.
1: I mean, yeah. I that that I, I'm not gonna stop you. We both have cat eyeliner, and that's probably one reason everyone thinks we're so fierce. But, yeah, I actually really love the color theory of this movie as well as Kick-Ass and plenty of other ones where it's like a really, really bold choice because I have a, a color problem. Uh, I have a, it was a color deficiency, as I was told in a uh, like kindergarten. And yeah, You're not
0: colorblind, but you're pretty damn close.
1: <laughs> yes. Um. As an odd side note to my parents, um, they did not think, oh, hey, our child might be colorblind. They thought I was, and I quote, slow because I couldn't get colors right as a small child. So that was a thing. But I can't tell colors apart very well because they sort of just blur together a lot um, in a way that BJ tries to figure out what kind of colorblind I am all the time, and uh, it doesn't work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's, like, close to red-green, but... At the same time, not at all. It's very strange.
1: It's that, but then it's like, well, blues and purples are bad and like reds and browns are bad or like dark greens and blacks and grays are bad. Um, anything that's just too similar on the color wheel just becomes a, a mess where I really struggle to tell them apart. But I love it when a movie is so loud and so obvious that I can tell them apart. Like that feels really good. That like, hey, I get to be a part of this. That's, that's nice. I feel included.
3: <laughs> that is so nice. And also... You know, I've always I'm always a proponent of more color in everything I ever witnessed. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> I agree. And luckily, the 90s were full of that uh, because I think about like this I think about Jawbreaker. I think about like any of the teen movies from this era, just vibrant color choices, mm-hmm. which, oh, can we please get out of like drab minimalist color schemes? Like it had its time. Please. I just I'm missing color in movies again. It's I so know that pretty. these are
1: dark times but god give me something interesting to look at (laughs) bless the good work of boz lerman and too much color and glitter
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah like remember that thing where in the great depression all the movies were about how everything is happy and great we can do that we can still do it we can do it again
1: (laughs) i feel like everyone's just like no they're trying to distract you from the truth because we're paranoid now (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) you know what huh Despite that surly demeanor, I think we've just given her a big gift, okay? I mean, to give someone like Heather Mooney the chance to express herself through fashion, we could have really changed her life. Yeah. For me, though, it's like I've given birth to my own baby girl, you know? Only she's like a big giant girl who smokes and says shit a lot. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the color is just, it's just a great choice. And speaking of choices, Brennan, let's talk about the voice that Mir Sorvino uses for Romy. It, it, it is, like I said, there are
3: several things in this movie that are beamed in from another dimension, and that is exactly this. Um, okay, so sorry, I'm going to back up a tiny, tiny bit. Um, I think basically everyone in this cast is doing more or less perfect work, or at least everyone everywhere that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... Lisa Kudrow and Janine Garofalo, while they are both perfect, are doing something explicable. If you've seen the work that they do, they are just doing that very, very well.
1: Yeah, Janine Garofalo is not doing that different of a performance than we'll see her do in, like, Mystery Men.
3: Yeah, exactly. This is but just it's, what she does. Yeah, but it's just great. But then, meanwhile, Mira Sorvino is making fucking choices. And I'm not saying either is better or worse, but it's so peculiar. It's this very rounded hollow kind of wisconsin but not kind of boston but not just totally un unimitable I- inimitable i it, i have i don't have the words to describe it because no one else has ever done anything like this
1: no i I asked BJ, I'm like, well, is it because they're on Venice? Is she trying to do, like, a bodacious dude accent? Because, like, Romy has, like, dude energy, and I say that as, oh, like, yeah, a she's compliment. So yeah, like, that that's a compliment. I like women with, like, dude energy. I like to think that I have dude energy. And so it's this mixture of, like, th- thick Wisconsin, yes, but, like, an East Coast, but also, like, funneled through, like, her surroundings in... Venice Beach where everyone like smokes a lot of weed and surfs so like it truly comes out as this undiscernible accent that makes no sense outside of this movie and this performance and she commits and I love that
0: yeah her voice is so fantastic and the two things that she says that in my brain like If I hear it in this way or if I hear somebody even sound in this way, my brain goes Romy to it, is uh, at the end when (laughs) Michelle goes, let's fold scarves. And her response is, okay. And like it is like (laughs) under, it's scooped. It's like there's just that. And then when she's faking sex with Ramon and it's like, oh, oh, (laughs) Ramon, and like her vowels sound so weird. (laughs) And I like I need a linguist to like break her down. I need to go on TikTok and be like, hey, someone, please tell me what's happening here. Because I don't know what it is, but I know that I love it.
3: Yeah, it's just the vowels are it's so consistent, but they're it it it's it's like Colorblind for accents, where it's like things are merging together in this way that is incredibly consistent, but
1: indecipherable.
0: And I also don't think that that's what anyone from Tucson sounds like.
1: (laughs) Oh no, I've been to Tucson. They do not. I mean, no one else in that movie sounds like that, and they're all from the same area.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's such a fascinating choice, and it works so well because there's so much character to it. Because especially when she gets upset. Like, she throws her purse and she's like, we're jokes. And it's just like, (laughs) what is this? What's coming from this? But, like, it really just adds to the character. And I do know that when she got the script for this, she was, like, reading it on the subway or the bus or something. And she said that she just kept reading it and was cracking up in public, like, while reading the script. And that's why she wanted to do it. And this was a project like her reps did not want her to do, but she believed in it so much. So it's clear that like she really thought about this character because no one wanted her to do it. This is not something that she was just going to show up and kind of phone it in on. She wanted to do this, and I think it shows. I really think it shows.
3: Oh, absolutely. Just choice after choice after choice. My, my new theory is that she worked on a in a past life she worked on a fishing trawler on pluto and that's where the accent comes <laughs>
0: from. <laughs> oh my god it's so fantastic <laughs> all righty well on that beautiful vocal note i do think that that takes us out on romey and michelle's high school reunion so on that beautiful vocal note harmony the time has come Romy and michelle's high school reunion is inviting you to the prom Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on
1: their own? I'm giving this the biggest yes. Uh, I think that this is a movie I caught a lot in high school growing up on TV, and like I was like, oh, this is fun. But now being in my 30s and past my tenure reunion, it feels so much more real and so much more like I understand it, especially since moving to LA. Like This is such a specific mood, but I also just... I like watching movies where friends are just in love with being friends. We don't even get to do that that often on the podcast. Like, I guess Jennifer's body does it, but like, that's a really toxic example of being in love with your best friend in high school. So this is a nice version. And I just think it's, it's great. And everyone should watch it because it's, it's endlessly rewatchable because it's so quotable and there's so many little details that you can pick up because it moves by so quickly. Like it's, it's, it's just evergreen.
0: Beautiful. I assumed that's what you were going to feel about this movie.
1: What if I just swerve one of these times and go, no, I hate it.
0: (laughs) I would be very shocked and be like, wow, we just (laughs) wasted an hour and a half talking so that you could be a heel. Okay. Uh (laughs) So, Brennan, thank you so much for joining us and coming back and talking about just this magical, wonderful movie. Where can people find you on the Internet if you want them to find you?
3: Oh, I mean, if if you're nice and want to find me on the internet, um, you can go to Twitter at It's Raining Brens. That's kind of the source of all my power. I put everything there. Um, I also write reviews for alternateending.com. I write news on screenrant.com. And can I throw out the two tiniest uh, bullet points that I actually just remembered I want to get out about Romy and Michelle? Yes. Of
0: course. Yes. Take the time.
3: Okay. One... That opening shot where the camera is zooming over the ocean and then through their apartment window is fucking incredible, and I don't know how they did it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and number two, I love that Michelle is canonically Jewish.
0: I do, too. I think that that's great. Mm-hmm. It makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah. We've had anyway, a very, yeah, that's like, where you can find me. <laughs> we've had like a very proud Jewish month on the show, which I think is fantastic. We've had, just had a bunch of it. This is great. Great time. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, friends, as always, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends Up Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo.
1: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Velasa Trapdare. Velasa underscore trap underscore tour.
0: And as always, massive thank you to the Sonner Bombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool band do you want people to check out inspired by Romeo and Michelle?
1: The band I am plugging this week is called Cinema Hearts, and they are like power pop by way of the 90s, but now. And the EP that they released just recently is called Your Ideal, and it's all about how the singer and possibly only person in the band, I'm really unclear on that, but maybe, uh, used to be a Miss America beauty contestant, and this whole album is basically about that. And the title track in particular is set to a video that's all about, like, I don't want to be your ideal and, like, all this shit is fake. And I think it fits the theming of this movie very well. Also, we've already done Miss Firecracker and Drop Dead Gorgeous. I don't know when we're doing another beauty pageant movie for me to shout this out. So this seems very opportune.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were listening to the EP last night and I, I co-sign wholeheartedly because the album really is about, like acknowledging who you were in high school and how a lot of that's bullshit and it's more important to embrace who you are now and to like let yourself be okay with who you once were and like that really is the heart of Romy and Michelle. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love it deeply and I mean, the one thing that I will say on the way out is my favorite line delivery in the entire movie doesn't belong to any of our main characters. It is Billy Christensen when he goes, Romy and Michelle. (laughs) Uh, I crack up every single time because he sounds like such a doofus. Okay, beautiful. Friends, that takes us out. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance
1: for us. Bye. Bye.
2: Um, Great suit. Is that an Armani?
1: Yes. Yes, it is.
2: I thought so. So what do you do?
1: I'm a suit salesman.
2: Would you excuse me? I cut my foot before and my shoe is filling up with blood.
3: This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.